Pastor Adam and Brooke Cook. Uh, last week, just by, by a show of hands, how many of you guys were here and you heard Pastor Adam's message last week? And it was awesome, right? It was awesome. So we are encouraged. Uh, we got a great report back last Sunday. There were 25 salvations in Napa, Idaho last Sunday. Uh, the teaching on forgiveness. They said the altars were full and people were heading down the aisleways. And man, it's just, that's a, that's a terribly difficult message to hear but I'm so glad that they responded. So God bless you guys in Napa, Idaho at Awakened Church. And God bless you guys here in Fenton, Michigan. What in the world, man? It's good to see you. It's a holiday weekend, and I assume that many of you would be traveling, and yet you did. You traveled all the way to Fenton, Michigan. God bless you. So um, let, me, let me start today. We are talking about marriage, and I think the best way to start talking about marriage is to tell you about Jay Van Buskirk. It's going to sound strange. But Jay owned, owned a 1983 Harley Sportster, the same time that I owned a 1979 Honda Goldwing. Now, if you don't know motorcycles, what I just said is I own a motorcycle that's, it should have 18 wheels, not two. It's a monster. It's got trunks and upper fairings and lower fairings and saddlebags and highway bars and cruise control and a cassette player. Back when cassettes were new technology. Can I get a witness? 1984. And uh, he bought a Sportster. It was during the AMC. How many of you guys know the AMC season of Harley-Davidson? They, they were good at making bowling balls. They were lousy at making motorcycles. So to get an 83 Harley to start, you had to point it north, warm it to 74 degrees, kick it twice, do the throttle once, kick it one more time, pull the choke, say a prayer, rub a rabbit's foot, get out a four-leaf clover and try one last time. And then you still ended up half the time getting pushed down the driveway to bump start it. Like they were, they were garbage. But Jay was a motorcycle enthusiast. I was a, couldn't afford a car. So that's why I had a motorcycle. And we're cruising on the freeway one day on our way to Dallas or someplace kind of fun. And all of a sudden, he's kind of up here on my, at my number two location. And all of a sudden, he just gets all wiggly. like and, and off the side of the road, I thought he blew a front tire. Now, if you've ever blown a front tire on a motorcycle, you haven't because you'd be dead. It, when you're doing 80 miles an hour and that front tire goes, all of a sudden you're on ice. You're, you're not on pavement anymore. Rubber's not touching road. And he got real loose and went to the side. And it takes a little bit longer to stop a 79 Goldwing than you know, your average Winnebago. But by the time I got it stopped, it was probably from here to, to the back. He's dumped the bike completely. He's laying on the ground and he has both hands over his throat. And I'm like, what is going on? So I'm running back to him. I'm a, I'm a medic-trained military police officer. I can handle this. Until I see blood coming out from his neck. And I thought, what just happened? And, but there's something else. There's not just blood. It's, it's, there's like a, a, a pussy, kind of a white, oozy. And then I look, and, it's, and there's legs. And there's wings. And what had happened was... In Texas, I didn't know this until this day. I'd been stationed in Texas for some time. But in Texas, the, the, the Texas cockroach is different than the Michigan cockroach. The Texas cockroach has wings. And what had happened is that Jay was cruising down the road at 80 miles an hour. A cockroach flew up and hit him right in the throat and collapsed his windpipe. And he's laying on the ground. It slit his throat. I'm sorry, this isn't funny. It slit his throat. There's guts in his ears. And he's just now being able to like exhale and get his, catch his breath. And the, the bike has been dumped and there's guts everywhere. And by the time I realized it's okay, how many guys know there's friends and there's, there's, then there's friends that laugh at you when you're in pain? Once you know he's okay, this is a great story, right? So, yeah, man, he came around and said, like, you, you, got, you got a leg in your ear, you know? <laughs> Pull it off, like, oh, what's that taste like? Jay's like, shut up. I'm trying not to throw up. My, my throat just opened up. You ever, you ever seen something that God made and you're like, God, what were you thinking? <laughs> so let's talk about marriage. <laughs> because when you look at the differences between men and women, as God created them, male and female, the differences are profound. 
The difference between a man and a woman, uh, biologically, her soul, even her spirit is so different from man that you, you have to kind of say, well, you knew this wasn't going to work. You, you knew that peanut butter and jelly works, but peanut butter and vinegar is a, like a lousy tasting sandwich. Like, why, why would that be okay? Why would you want to do that? And so as you, as you look at what God meant when he said marriage, I, I think you're going to understand some things, maybe about your own marriage, about your life, about your singleness, about your single againness that might be helpful to you um, in the long run. So, there, so different. What was God thinking? I think the number one thing that God was thinking is this. I think he was thinking that man didn't need something like him. He needed something unlike him to become what God wanted him to be. Man didn't need another part. Man needed a counterpart. If what Adam needed in the garden was help tending the garden, then, then God would have made Adam a son and given him chores. He would have made him a brother and given him work gloves. But, but what Adam needed in the garden was something very different, but very much the same. When Adam first sees Eve, you know, it's that beautiful wedding moment where the father brings her down the aisle, if you will, the mist of that first morning where they'd be together. And, and he sees, you know, he's many times what, what God has brought on his arm before. And this is, you know, here's a dog, he names it dog. And here's a monkey, and he names it monkey. And here's a giraffe, and he names it giraffe. Here's a hippo, and he names it a hippo. But this ain't like that. There's something very different, but very familiar about her form as she comes through the mist. And just like a father would present his daughter on the wedding day, so God presents Eve to Adam as a gift. And Adam looks at her and he says the word isha. We translate that word woman, but it means something more than that. Just it, it, it Actually, and this I'm being funny, but literally isha being translated woman, it's, just, it's probably a closer translation to say, whoa, man, than, than just woman. It's, it's this... And he says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Isn't it fascinating? I've never seen her before, but she's a part of me, and I know it. When I first met Dina, it wasn't the first girl I'd met. I had a distinct disadvantage over Adam uh, and that I'd seen lots of girls. Every time the door opened, is that the one? Is that the one? Is that the one? Is that the one? You know what I mean? That's a grandmother. Okay, leave it alone. That's that's that one. That's a guy. Cut your hair. You know, is that the one? Is that the one? That's going to be really funny in Idaho. It's, everybody's got a crew cut in Idaho. And, uh, but when I met her, I had this 20-minute conversation with her, and when she left, I just said out loud to the friend standing next to me, I said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. Not the first girl I saw, but the first girl that I saw that somehow was a part of me. I didn't know much about her. The only thing I didn't like about her was her last name, and so I set about changing it that day <laughs> to weekend. God calls Eve a helper or a helpmate. Adam calls her Isha. Very different, but very much the same. Very familiar. I, I, think, I think that when we look at this gentleman, can you imagine a world without women? There should be silence followed by a chuckle as you begin to imagine a world without women. Can you imagine a world where, you know, there isn't that other side, that other view, that other input, that, that other gift, that other anointing that makes you make a lot more sense than you alone? One female giggle. All right, let's move on. <laughs> this is for you guys. You go into a hardware store, and there's something called epoxy. It's, it's two tubes that, that separate from each other, don't really do much. But when come, they come together, there's a catalyst. There's something that takes place. There's the something, and there's the something else that makes the new something. That's a great hardware store analogy. What Adam had was what Adam had, but what Adam needed was something Adam didn't have. What Eve had is, is what Eve had, and it was great, but it wasn't, she needed Adam as well. God put the two of them together in such a way as to become something greater 
than they could have been ever by themselves. I think the second thing he's thinking when he, he creates Adam and Eve together and he creates this thought, this, this concept, this covenant of marriage, as he thinks, you know, this isn't gonna work without me. <laughs> we, we talked recently about Matthew 6 where Jesus is teaching on prayer and, he, and this is blown away. Let's call God Father. Um, let's bring heaven to earth instead of being so good we get to go to heaven. I mean, all these radical concepts of teaching on prayer. But one of the things I think is the most daily, practically radical thing is, is daily bread. This is during a time when either harvest went well, planting went well, you know, the spring rains came, things germinated, they grew during the summer with sporadic rain, the fall rains came and the latter day rains came so that there'd be this great harvest, then you'd be okay through the winter. All of a sudden, Jesus is talking about a daily dependence on God. Let me say this to you, and I, I wanna say this right. I know we're laughing a lot because it's, it's easier to laugh sometimes than it is to cry, but I'm trying to make a point. Nothing will make you more daily dependent on God than your spouse because they need things that only God has and they're gonna to look to you to provide them. They need things that God has put inside of you to be a blessing to them, to help them, to complete them. Marriage creates a daily dependence on God. Say it with me, come on. Marriage creates a daily dependence on God. Idaho, say it with me, come on. Marriage creates a dependence and you say, well, I don't know if it's that extreme, Jim. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5 real quick and find out the, the unnatural behaviors we're commanded to live. I, I, and this is the way I imagine it, and forgive me if I'm imagining it too much this morning, but I imagine it this way where the, the elders in Ephesus are saying, we have a letter from the apostle. We're now going to read the words of God. And they sit down, and they're quiet, and the women are on one side, as they did in the synagogue. The men are on the other side. And he begins to read. He gets to chapter five. We have some ordinances here, some regulations concerning the home. And so I'd ask you all to pay special attention to this. Ladies, are you ready? Gentlemen, are you ready? And they nod their heads. Everybody's ready. Okay. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. How many of you know that one side kind of went, oh, really? The other side went, amen. <laughs> amen. That's, I believe that's the word of the Lord. I think the Apostle Paul is right on here. I think he's done a wonderful job. I'm glad that I don't have to tell her to do that, but God has told her to do that. And isn't that great? And, and then he continues. Husbands, and the husband's like, I know, like, get my foot rub, get my belly rub. Is that what this is now? Get my husbands, you know, take a day off every week. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, laying yourself down for her. And the men looked down at their sandals, and the women looked up and said, I love this church. I, I think it's a wonderful, balanced teaching. What I'm trying to say is this. There's probably nothing more unnatural in the soul of a man than to love and cherish a woman who doesn't believe in him. And there's equally something so uncommon that a woman could believe in a man that doesn't provide her with the safety of his love. Does it make sense? So you can understand, like, one side or the other of this equation, once missing, creates a total failure of the dynamic. When I love my wife and I lay myself down for my wife, my wife believes in me. When my wife believes in me, like, like I'm Jesus himself, and not, not that there's any confusion there at all, but just I'm submitting to you. You're my husband. If God's spoken to you, I believe in you. Let's go do this. All of a sudden, I'm empowered to do some pretty great stuff, and I'm loving her, and she's believing in me, and I'm loving her, she's believing in me, and then one day, I'm not loving her, and she stops believing in me. How many of you guys know it's not gonna take long before we realize a lot of pain is occurring? There's a breakdown. There's a fundamental breakdown. I've been doing marriage counseling poorly for over 30 years, and this is what I know. I'm going I'm to save you thousands of dollars, hundreds of hours. Every marriage issue has to do with one of two things. It has to do with past issues that have nothing to do with your spouse, or it has to do with love or respect. That's it. So in five minutes, 
I know what's wrong, but you don't feel like I've listened to you until the fifth session, and then I get to talk to you. So I don't do marriage counseling anymore. Because I can tell you what's wrong. Like here, I just need to put, like, everybody's counseling come this way. I'm gonna put on the door. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Believe in their dreams and your market set. Go. Yeah, but he never, yeah, but she always. That's, that's where counseling becomes more like WWF wrestling, and I just don't care for it. So let me just say this. Husbands, if you will love your wives as Christ loved the church and lay yourself down for her, it's gonna take Jesus in your day-to-day life, which is all your wife really wants as a godly husband that loves her. Sila. No, no, she needs the income. No, she needs the boat. She needs the lake. No, she needs a husband that loves God and loves her. That's what she really needs, right? And if you do that, just like it's almost impossible to love a woman who doesn't believe in you, it's almost impossible not to believe in a man that loves you that way. It's almost impossible not to, not to love a woman who's your greatest cheerleader. You go into a world that beats you up every day, you come back to a woman and says, sweetie, don't you listen to them. I know who you are, man of God. And I believe you're going to lead this family or lead this church or lead this nation. You're going to, do, you're going to get it done. One of my favorite George Bush stories that I'm, I'm probably butchering and I, it's probably made up to begin with, but here we go. <laughs> He's in Texas. I don't know which one it is, but his name's George Bush and he was president, which is about eight of them now, I think. And they stopped at a, at a fill-in station, as they call it down there in Texas. The man came out, tipped his hat. What would you like? I'd like to fill it up. And, and the, the, the Mrs. Bush looks at her and goes, hey, Bill, is that you? She goes, hey. And he comes around. She gets out of the car. Big hug. Secret Service tackles him. Shoot. No, okay. It's before that. How are you? And da, da, da. How are you? This is my station. This is your station. This is great. Let me introduce you to my husband. He, he owns the, the, the Houston Astros. He's uh, the governor of Texas here, whichever one it is. He's the president of the United States, all that kind of stuff, right? They get back in the car. They're driving down the road, and George starts juggling, just, just laughing. She's like, what's so funny? So can you just imagine? If you hadn't married me, you'd be the wife of a gas station attendant. She said, no, no. He'd, I'd be the wife uh, of, of the Houston Astros owner, and, uh, and no, you don't understand. He, you, would, you wouldn't be who you are without me, is what she's saying, right? Let me tell you something. I'm going to quote from one of my favorite movies, The Big Fat Greek Wedding. So this is almost the book of. The man is the head of the household. Somebody say amen. amen. But the woman is the neck, and she can turn the head just about any direction and, and we have sayings, happy wife, happy life. And let me, let's not degrade what marriage is. Marriage is a covenant whereby we only win if we both lose. And if I love my wife as Christ loves the church, I lay my life down for her. And if she believes in me as if I, I, I hear from the Lord, which I, I hope that I do because I want to lead her well. I want to lead her children, her grandchildren, this church well. When she believes in me, it doesn't matter who else doesn't. When God believes in me, and my wife believes in me, it doesn't matter what's in my bank account. When God believes in me and my wife believes in me, my life, my world is in a right standing in a way that it can never be without her. Um, think about this, guys. I, I mean, I'm sorry, he's kind of said it, but marriage demands the weightiest parts of the kingdom to be exercised daily. How many days can you take off loving your wife before there's going to be an issue? Can you count to one? How many, how many times would a husband come home to Nagatha? <laughs> Why don't you just curse God and die? <laughs> Job's wives all die but her? Like, that's not fair. <laughs> Marriage demands it. I love my wife, and so change is mandatory because I love my wife. 
And, and that brings us to the next one. I think God was thinking they're going to have to grow or die. <laughs> and those are their two choices. A single person, and if, how many of you guys are single right now? Okay, just successfully single. There we are. Okay. Single people have a certain habit that married people don't. And it just, when, when I want to see the way I want to see myself, I walk in front of the mirror and I, and I pose a certain way as to get rid of the chins and I flex things that aren't, you know, drooping and I just, and I, and I take a snatch up, boom, that's the way I look and I walk away. But there's another thing that men do, and just use men, and that is occasionally we get on the scale. The relationship with the mirror is different than the relationship with the scale. The mirror, I can point a certain way, do that, and go, oh, I got a hairline. There it was. You ever heard somebody that, man, I don't really look that way. They're showing you a picture. I don't really look that way, do I? Like, oh, no, no, the camera adds 10 pounds. Not to anybody else in that shot, just you. And I think there's about eight cameras on you right now. Actually, that's the way it looks. Huge conspiracy. Kodak is trying to ruin your, your self-image because they don't want you to take pictures of yourself. It's just dumb. Um, when I get on the scale, that thing goes zip, and it just says, you weigh X number of pounds. When I look in the mirror, I can choose what I want to see. When you're single, you can choose what you want to see about yourself. You can say, I, I'm fine. Yeah, I have a temper, but that's what men have. Ah. Yes, I'm selfish, but... I'm going to live it up because this is my time to live my life, my way, my, me, my. Can't figure out why you're single, can you? <laughs> okay, <laughs> got an idea. <laughs> but when you're married, like, like the greatest thing God's ever done for my spiritual development is given me somebody that I love more than myself. Because I can leave my pajamas on the bathroom floor for weeks. They can, stuff can grow on them. I like the color green. I think it's pretty. It's not easy being green, but I, I, think, I think mushrooms are, are lovely. I don't have an issue with that. Wet pajamas belong on the bathroom floor. And all, all the single men said amen. Uh, you better not. She's in the room somewhere. She doesn't want to hear that, right? When you get married, all of a sudden, it, it's like unkind to be messy when your wife is clean. The mirror, the scale. She's measuring my behaviors. It, it, it's affecting her, who I am, who I'm not. I'll never forget the first time I picked up my own pajamas. It was many years. I mean, we lived here. So it was probably 15 years ago of a 31-year marriage, right? So a long time. Hey, don't judge. <laughs> and, and I remember I, I, you know, hey, would you pick up? And I pick them up because I'm so, why'd you just pick up your stuff? I'm not your mother. Why are you such a slob? Okay, I'll pick them up for about two, three days until the dust settles. And then I'm back to being me. Some of your husbands are looking at your wives laughing. I see like women sitting next to each other just cracking up like, what's happening here? I don't know, but there's some, some story that involves you, sir. I'm sorry about that, right? <laughs> I brought that up. Hey, again, love, respect. Come to counseling. It'll be awesome. Five minutes. And I remember the one day, for, I don't even know why I did it. I just thought, I'll, I'll just pick them up. And I, I picked them up and I put them in the hamper that was right next to where I, I would lay them. And she, she walks up to me and she's like, Jim. I'm like, Dina. <laughs> she gives me a hug and she's like, you did it. I don't know what I did, but I want to do it again. What I do, what I do. She's like, you picked up your pajamas. I'm like, oh, it's, that's nothing. She goes, it means so much to me. She gave me a hug. She gave me a kiss. She said, I can't wait for you to come home from work tonight and get my hands on you, boy. You get out there. I was just like, I went to the boys' room. I picked up their pajamas. <laughs> Started knocking on the neighbor's doors. Give me your pajamas. <laughs> and I made part of that up, but only the last part. 
It, that literally happened. You know what happened is all of a sudden, like, she's like saying yes to my whatever. Like, I'm becoming better because what I was was hurting who I love more than I love myself. Does that make sense? I, I still have a temper. It's not nearly what it was when we first got married. Why? Because my temper unaddressed was wounding someone who I love more than my temper. And vice versa. This little girl's given up everything for me for the last 31 years. She's from a town that has less people in it than this room. Like, this was the whole population, like, during basketball season when Hoosiers all went, painted the bus red and went to the Hickory Gym. Like, that's, you don't get that. You're young. <laughs> hear, hear this. After the wedding, there has to be two funerals if there's going to be a whole marriage. You just have to die. What's the secret of a happy life? Death. And this is, this is why. After death, something new can be resurrected. But, but as long as, no, it's me and it's mine, no, it's mine, it's me and my, we separate and it's mine and me and yours, but the, this and this is mine, I need mine, and this is, and I'm, not, I'm never gonna because when I was in men and women, and that's not even fun. But when you say, what are your needs? What are your needs? After the wedding, there should be a continual tense, two funerals, that continue until such a time as something is resurrected that the world has never seen before called your marriage. It's awesome. It's awesome. I don't want to die. That's because you haven't lived yet. If, if you had experienced the resurrection that comes from mutual death, you would say, where do I sign to die? Where, where's the cross? Where's the executioner? It, when, when you realize that the greatest thing you can do for you is to kill you, in favor of your spouse? Say, no, no, I'm no doormat, man. I've been used by people. I, wait, wait, wait. I'm not describing every circumstance. And if your spouse is abusive and unhealthy, and then, then again, there's that first, let's get counseling for that. Let's get some help. Being wounded is not an identity. It's a condition that's curable. Did I say that too hard? Let me just say it gentler. If, if you've been hurt by someone that looks a lot like the person that you're now married to or in a romantic relationship with, I, I get that. But don't make that person pay for the sins of their predecessors. Let's, let's get over it. Let's get past. Let's get through. Let's work on it. Let's develop. Because I promise you, if you'll learn to trust God, God's going to develop something in you that can trust him enough to die so that something new called marriage can be resurrected. But I, I think, guys, more than anything else, more than anything else, I think what God was thinking was one times one times one equals infinity. I think there's a limitless, when, when Adam is there by himself, God puts Eve there because there's something that's about to happen when man multiplied by woman, multiplied by God. How many guys know there's just nothing impossible for that? When, when the commandment comes, when the blessing of God comes to Adam, it comes to Adam and Eve, not just Adam. When, when he talks about filling the earth and subduing it in Genesis chapter one, he's not talking to Adam. Adam, you go do this, and Eve, you just stay home and bake brownies, and he'll be home every once in a while. He's talking to a family. He's commissioning. He's blessing. He's inspiring. He's sending a family together to do these things. Look at this. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. He blessed them. Here's, their, here's the blessing of God on family. Here's the blessing of God on you. Prosper. Reproduce. Fill the earth. Take charge and be responsible. Isn't that beautiful? How many of you know without woman, he might get the first, but the be responsible part, he's never going to get to. 
But with woman, he's going to be responsible. She's going to remind him of the greatness of God's commandment in his life. Maybe the, the, the um, you know, prosper. I mean, he's going to want that, right? Um, reproduce. Let's just leave that alone. Um, <laughs> fill the earth. Like, that's a man thing. Fill the earth. She's going to remind him who he is. He's going to remind her who she is in Christ. And they're going to do this. They're going to, together, they're going to become, and that's what it was. But then sin comes in. Guys, hear me just for a second. If sin has come into your marriage, it's time for sin to go. It's time, it's time for Jesus to come in and to heal, correct, rebuke, encourage, strengthen, comfort, empower, deliver, save, forgive. You fill in the blank. I promise you, whatever your marriage needs, Jesus has cornered the market on it and is generous enough to give it to you when you need it. But you gotta ask. You gotta seek. You gotta knock. Come on, somebody say Amen. But this blessing to do it all together, this is like the first great commission. Sin comes in, it just destroys it. So aren't you glad that there's a second great commission that's on this side of the mercy of God, this side of the cross, this side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where he says this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, Adam and Eve... Kevin and Debbie, Les and Denise, come on, John and Cheryl, Matt, Michelle, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I command you. And guess what, Shirley? I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. I'm going to be here. I am just as much in your marriage, in your ministry, in your walk, in your family as I was in the Garden of Eden with my son and my daughter. This is, this is not another commission. This is a continuation of the first commission to take the earth for Jesus. Fill it. Subdue it. Prosper. Go. Die. Live through resurrection. Look at it one more time. One times one times one equals really anything God wants it to equal. <laughs> It's shocking what he can do. If your spouse is here, and babe, I didn't plan on this, but would you come up here? I know you're taking notes and stuff because that's part of submission. I don't care if that's a laundry list of what to buy at the grocery store. I, in my heart, you're taking notes on this brilliant message I've just, just preached. And, and let me just, while she's coming, let me talk to the single people for a second. There's, there's single, there's single again. Um, let me talk to the single again. Because of death, because of divorce, you're single again. I can't imagine. Come here, baby. I, I have no words. I have no words except that you're here today loving Jesus is a great testimony of your character and his faithfulness in your life. If you were hurt by a man, as a man, can I just say to you how sorry I am for the species and what they've done for you, what they've done to you, what they've done. It's just inexcusable sometimes the way men have treated women and as a man if I could stand in that position and just say I'm so sorry it was wrong it should have never happened and I, I just bless you to, to receive the wholeness and the healing that is in Jesus who happens to be a man but he's going to restore what man means in your life if you're single because of death oh, I'm so sorry I am so sorry I, I don't know what it feels like we have a deal I get to die first 
because I get homesick a week before I go anywhere. I was homesick last night. We're laying in bed together, and she, she rolled over. She kind of put her arm around me. I just thought, oh, I'm so homesick. It's like my wife is cuddling with me right now, and I miss her because next week I'm going to be somewhere else, and I, you know, I'm going to be spooning with Pastor Jason. It's just not the same. <laughs> no? Okay, all right. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Yeah, I even tried, and I couldn't do it. So I just say this, man, I, this is what I know. Jesus has promised his presence where it's most needed. So for whatever reason, there's a singleness right now. Let me just say this to you. I, I'm not saying, so don't worry about it. God's God. I'm not. I realize this is probably the most difficult thing you'll ever go through in your life. And I'm so sorry, but I would say this to you. Blessed are those who mourn because you're going to be comforted. People that are hurting have an access to the presence of God in ways that I don't. Does that make sense? Your pain produces the atmosphere of blessing that those who are blessed cannot access. He's there. He's here. He's with you. He's going to see you through it. Is it going to be all right? I don't even know what those words mean. I just know this. God is God. He's going to be God everywhere he's welcome. So don't let pain drive you from him. Let pain drive you into him. Amen. And those of you that have the hand of your spouse right now, let me just say this to you. Maybe your marriage is about more than what you thought it was. Maybe it's about winning Treasure Valley for Jesus. Maybe it's about orphans and foster kids and widows. Maybe it's about missions. Maybe it's about being a great neighbor and leading that crusty old guy next door that hates everybody because that's his self-defense. Maybe it's about leading him to Jesus. Maybe your kid's taking cookies to his door is the nicest thing that's happened to him since last Christmas when they did it. You are the light of the world. And one, any man, times one, any woman, times Jesus will always be more than enough for whatever the need is. Somebody say amen. amen. I want you to elevate your expectation of what God wants you to do, what God wants you to be, what God has called you to. Because if I see it right, and I'm, I'm quoting scripture, it's fill the earth, subdue it, prosper. Um, it's, it's not nine to five, Boca Raton, die. There's nothing wrong with 401Ks, nothing wrong with Boca Raton, but there is something wrong with an expectation of just making another day, another day, another day, another day. Let's not arrive safely in heaven. That isn't why God gave you this. So grab that person's hand. Father, we just pray for those that are here today that have this hand to hold on to today. We pray for those that, that have your hand to hold on to here today. It's not the one times one. It's, it's that one times you. That's heaven on earth. We pray, God, that you is all that we are and you would comfort all that we are not. I ask you, God, your blessings on Idaho, your blessings on Fenton, Michigan. I pray your blessings anywhere this will be seen and heard. God, may we raise our expectations of what you mean when you say marriage. It's not to meet my needs alone. It's, it's not to uh, give me a better presence on Facebook. It's, it's, it is to glorify the Lord. That's what we're called to live for. That's what we're called to die for. That's what we're called to give towards. That's what we're called to serve. So in the name of Jesus, we pray these original blessings over every marriage here, God. Over everyone who has a hand to hold on to and those that have your hand to hold on to, we pray this blessing. May we win the world for Jesus. And everybody said amen. So Idaho's gonna do their thing. And 
let's just do this right now. Heads are not bowed and eyes are not closed. If you're here today and you're like, you know what, take the hand of your spouse again real quick. Maybe what it is is I need to make a decision. I need to make some changes. I need to, dang, I just realized I'm, I'm Nagatha. I just realized I'm a man living as if I'm still single. And God has called me to be someone else's priest, someone else's sacrificing uh, agent. I, I, I'm, I'm mad because she won't let me go hunting all, all year long. I'm mad because she's like cramping my style. And you're realizing, hey, wait a minute, God wants more for me. God wants me to die for her. God wants her to believe in me. And you realize that you've got the hand and you're so blessed to have the hand. You don't have to say what it is right now, but just, this is, this is a great altar call. You ready? It goes like this. That's me. My bad. We'll talk about it later. Give it a squeeze right now. That's me. Thanks for squeezing my hand, babe. I'm curious what that is. If you're here today and you're not right with God, maybe you're at the gym, I'd come here for a teaching on marriage. Um, the opposite sex is terrifying to me. I, I, I've been hurt by nothing like that in my life. Let me just say this to you. I'm glad you're here because in the last two minutes of the service, we're not just gonna talk about marriage, we're gonna talk about you. We're gonna talk about your walk with Jesus. In a a teaching that uses it on a mountain. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. He, he says this, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. We're talking about if you raised your hand, if you said the prayer. Let me just say it another way. How many of you guys, on a, on a regular basis, you see his handiwork? You see it in the sunrise. You, you see him. You hear him. You just, you just, there's a relationship. Sometimes people say, did you, did you say that prayer? Did you raise your hand? And I, but I find that sometimes being an incomplete experience. So let me just say this. How many of you guys can say, yeah, I see God? Not like I, I visually I had breakfast with him this morning. I see, I see his fingerprints in the world. I, I see his influence. I see his glory. I see him. Blessed are the pure in heart. How do I know if my heart is pure? Because when you're in a right standing with God, he gets the credit for the stuff that he does. That makes sense? And when you're not in a right standing with God, he gets blamed for everything the devil did. So heads are not bowed, eyes are not closed, but you're here like, Jim, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm right with God. We're gonna pray. And the final moments of the service today, my wife and I are just going to lead you in a prayer. Um, but, but how do I, I don't know if you're right. Are you, are you right or are you not right? I did this before. I don't know. I just, let, I'm not trying to talk you into something. I'm trying to introduce you to someone. If you see him, you know him. If you don't see him. So we're going to do something different this morning. I haven't done this in a long time. It's going to take another measure of faith. But I believe that by doing this, it's going to help us to kind of navigate who's serious about this and who's not. In a moment, I'm going to ask for anybody here today and say, Jim, I just, would you pray for me closing prayer? I, do, I want to be right with God and I'm not. I want to be right with God and I'm not. So can we make this more private? We usually do. So I'm just going to say this. I think this is the Lord's will. I believe this is to be God, not, not a, it's not supposed to be private. It's supposed to be more public than normal for us. But in a moment, if that's you, I want you to raise up your hand and that kind of a, but, it, but this, I'm not right with God and I want to be. And we're going to pray with you. And I believe with all my heart, as we've seen many, many times, by the time you leave here today, your name will be written down in heaven as a son or a daughter of God. So are you ready? Not going to count to three. Everybody's open. Every head's not bowed. Trust me, this room's been praying since I started this. And we're going to celebrate with you. There's no judgment. This is a judgment-free zone. You're here. I'm not right with God. Would you remember me in your final prayer of the service? Um, I want to get right with God today. If that's you, raise your hand right now. Come on, put it up all over this room. 
Oh, come on. Do you see anybody, babe? I can't see that well. Not a single person. Yeah? Okay, good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So good. So good. I didn't mean to display my, my uh, disappointment. Sorry about that. Like, oh, man, come on. It's a big deal. So one person's done it. This is not an auction. But you saw it's not impossible. One act of faith may liberate many in this room. One more time. Oh, yeah, over here. Over here. Anybody else? It's not impossible. It's not impossible. Anybody else? Now it feels like an auction, but it's a good one. <laughs> right on. What courage. You know, the first time that the, someone asked me about that, I was sitting next to a girl that I, I liked. She was ugly. I was sitting next to a girl that I liked. And, you know, you need Jesus. And I, I was faking it, trying to be more moral than I really was, so she'd like me back. And I wasn't going to respond to that because I, I didn't want her to think less of me. And Wolfman, my buddy, was on the other side of her. He liked her, too. And he reached across her, grabbed my arm, and said, Jim, I need to be down at that altar today. I need to give my life to Jesus, but I, I don't want to go down alone with you down with me. And so I got to walk to the altar and give my life to Jesus as a coward <laughs> because that's how good God is. Because God's so good, we're going to do this one last time. I'm here today. I haven't raised my hand, but I know I need to. And you might have said, if you ask one more time, I'll do it. I'm asking one more time. How many guys? Today's your day. Raise your hand if that's you. It's so worth the 30 seconds of waiting for one more hand, is it not? <laughs> Amen. Huh? Yeah? I should be an auctioneer. This is working really well. All right, close your eyes. Come on. Father, we thank you for today and what you've done in lives and in marriages. Here and abroad, God, we, we pray that you would now receive from us this final prayer of this service. In this room, Lord, there's hands. They're attached to hearts, attached to homes, attached to lives. We need you. We need your mercy. We need you to forgive us and give us clean slates and fresh starts and new beginnings. We need the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We need to know your word. We need to know you. So that's my prayer, God. For those that are here today that so courageously said it's me, I, I'm, I'm glad you took that minute because it's me. Would you just follow me in this simple prayer all over this room right now? Every person, either raise your hand or not. Say this with me right now. Jesus, I was wrong. And you were right. I give you my life. I submit myself to you. I trust you. And I receive your love. Fill me with your Holy Spirit.